The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the fighter versus the rider. I am Damon Martin. He is UFC legend Matt Brown. We are in a post Thanksgiving world. And I guess the question the world wants to know the answer to Matt. Did you have steak for Thanksgiving? Fuck yeah, I did. <laughs> Brisket, pulled pork, all smoked. And what else do we have? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't going anywhere near goddamn turkey. Now you can you can smoke a turkey and it can be good. Like you can smoke a turkey. I've done it before. Yeah. And and yes, it can be decent, but still it doesn't compare to the worst fucking brisket that I've ever had. I mean, I'll take steak any day of the week over turkey. Trust me. Like that's like a no brainer. Like it just depends on like how quality the steak I want to go to. Want to go like full on fillet? Do want to go tea? Like any steak is pretty. Like you get a sirloin from fucking Outback and it's better than turkey. So. That's my whole point, bro. <laughs> like I get, and dude, I get so many comments. Like you know, I tweeted about it the other day, and I get, I get so many comments like, "Well, you just you don't know how to cook turkey, do you?" Or you know, like you haven't tried my mom's turkey or some shit. And it's like, like, dude, she spent eight hours like basting and brining and smoking and you know whatever the fuck kind of frying or some stupid shit. And it's like. It's still not as good as a fucking Kroger steak, bro. Don't don't give me your bullshit. Like maybe it was good. It wasn't as good as a fucking steak. Yeah, I had best turkey I ever had was when I went to Nashville one time and I was down there and I got a I went to a barbecue place. I was actually down there for the UFC. I went to a barbecue place. They had like a meat sampler plate, so I got pulled pork, brisket, and they had oh, smoked Martin's. turkey. 
Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, and I had, I had smoked turkey on there. And it was really good. Like, that's probably the best turkey I've ever had was there. It was like it was like a barbecue place, though. That's probably why it was good, because it was like... You tell barbecue. me it wasn't the worst meat on the plate. It was. It was definitely the worst of the of all the meats on there. I had this, the sausage, too. It was sausage. Yeah, so it was sausage, pulled pork, brisket, and smoked turkey. So Yeah, that, that was Martin's. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff though. I like barbecue. If you're gonna give me, if you're gonna make me eat turkey, at least give me barbecue. Like, give me a good, tur- you know, good turkey that's been smoked and made that way, at least. Yeah, or, or all these people say, like, well, I'd put gravy on it. It tastes amazing. It's like, did you put gravy on fucking garbage and it tastes good? <laughs> well, that's because <laughs> like, you're tasting the gravy. You're not tasting the turkey, dumbass. See, that's the thing that I pre- that's what I like about a steak because you don't like I know people who use like steak sauce. Like, what are you doing? Like, what you just need a steak. Like, when I eat a steak, I just need a steak. I don't need anything else on it. I will occasionally, I do occasionally like getting like a um uh like a like a cheese crust or something on it just to like have that. Like, that's kind of good. But like otherwise, just give me a just give me a regular steak. Like, I don't need anything on it. You know, as long as it's as long as it's cooked properly, right. Yeah, that's it. Like, if, if it's a good cut, if it's a shitty cut, yeah, you put like some mushrooms or onions or some gravy, barbecue sauce, whatever on it. But if you get a halfway decent cooked steak, the cooked properly steak, yeah, you fucking you eat the steak, salt and pepper. <laughs> mm, that's it. it takes yeah. twenty minutes. Oh, so good, so good. Yeah. So Thanksgiving is uh, is past us. Uh, what do we? We actually made uh, chicken and dumplings, homemade chicken and dumplings at home is what we had. We had that. Oh, interesting. Potatoes and the whole like you know we made potatoes and uh, mac and cheese and the whole thing. So yeah, we're not like big turkey people either. So um, I love. Ch- I grew up on chicken and dumplings. That's what my mom used to make when I was a kid. So uh, now my girlfriend makes it. Her mom makes it, and then she made it her mom's recipe. It's really good, but it also gives us leftovers for like days afterwards. So that's why we make it because we can have it for like three days after. Uh, yeah, that, so that's what everybody talks about with the turkey too. Like, dude, but the leftovers. <laughs> yeah, and it dude, is nice. You, well, it, can we just stop with all the the bullshit? Go, you know, dancing around it and shit. And can we just go Thanksgiving, bro? Can we just be done with this turkey bullshit? I like you it. Know, okay, let's say, let's say the story actually happened, which I don't know <laughs> history that well, but. <laughs> I imagine white people coming into Indians land. They're welcoming, want to have them, uh, give them a dinner, whatever. You know what the Indians did? If it was actually Turkey, the Indians were like, Hey, we got, they went over to their meat tent and they said, we have (laughs) here, we have, uh, some deer. We have some elk. We got some bison. Okay, give them the fucking turkey. The fucking white people, get them the fuck out of here. It's like when you have the, uh, the 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 family member over to your house. Like when you have friends over that you really like, you give them like the best drinks you got. Then when you have like the family over you don't really like, you're like, yeah, I got this beer from like three years ago stuck in the back of my <laughs> yeah. fridge. You can have that. Yeah, I got I got this lemonade that we made like four years ago. It's fermented by now. You can probably have that. Uh, that's how that's how yeah. you tra- that's how you treat the guests. You're like, yeah, I mean, you can come in, but I don't really want you here. So here's what you're getting. Yeah, so I bet anything if that story's true, <laughs> that's how the Indians did it. Like, give them the fucking turkey. They'll never want to come back to America again. <laughs> but to be fair, they were coming from Britain, where everything tastes like shit. <laughs> and that's why you tune into this podcast. We give you your best Thanksgiving stories you could possibly imagine. Oh man, I tell well, you what. the best Thanksgiving advice. That's true. Best tell thing your I mom, said. Cut it with the fucking turkey. 
you can make a goddamn steak. You can grill it in ten minutes. Yeah, Steaksgiving. I like that name. What are, are your are, when you have a steak? What's your uh, what's your uh, what's your size of choice? Mm, like I never really perfect, thought about that. Like, like in I a perfect it, world, like, in a, like mine's always baked potato. Like I'm very traditional. I want a baked potato in my steak. You know what I kind of fell in love with lately is fucking corn pudding. Oh, I like corn pudding. Yeah, it's good. I I never tried it till a few months ago. Yeah, and I'm fascinated. Like, yeah, it's not even pudding, and it doesn't really taste that much like corn. But you can taste the corn, but but it's called corn pudding, and it's pretty damn good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, um, my my mom used to make cornbread when I was a kid, and then my grandma made corn pudding. So yeah, it was good. Yeah, cornbread sucks. I think like I'll I like eat it, I but... like I like cornbread, but it's got to be good cornbread, and that's what's hard to come by. It's got you know, otherwise you get the dry shit that's like trying to choke down a brick. <laughs> right. <That's... laughs> Maybe I just haven't had the good shit. Where do you go to get good cornbread? I don't know. You know where they make good cornbread? Honestly, where I get it, honestly, for good is uh, Whole Foods makes good cornbread. Well, yeah, Whole Foods makes good everything, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, you overpay for it, but it's good. So, yeah. Yeah. I just don't go there. It's like they call it the whole paycheck market. <laughs> dude, they, dude, I, I go there like once a month and I'm like, all right, this is all I can afford to go to Whole Foods. It's too expensive. No, I got to save my money for the pay-per-views for UFC Austin coming up. Absolutely. UFC Austin coming up on Saturday. Great card. We did have a change, of course. I know it's, it's like it's like we are we are cursing the card. We talked about Dan Hooker for like 10 minutes on last week's podcast, and like two days later, breaks his arm. He's out of the fight. So uh, Dan Hooker's out. Jalen Turner's in, but still a great card. You got Rob Font against Devison Figueredo, moving back up to bantamweight. That's a banger. Benil Dariush against Armin Saruki, and that's a banger. Sean Brady and Kelvin Gastelum, that's a banger. Puna Soriano against Dustin Stoltzfus, that's a, a banger. Uh, Clay Guida's return. Misha Tate's on the undercard. I mean, this is a really good card for a fight night card. This is really good. That's pretty amazing, yeah. And um, Jalen Turner coming in for Hooker. That's still a good fight. It is, although Jaylen I will Turner say – it's a really good fight. It does it does worry me a little. Jalen Turner is you know off two losses in a row, both split decisions. He lost to Matush Gamrot and and Dan Hooker. Now certainly nothing wrong with losing either of those fights, but I'm always and and the Dan Hooker fight was also on short notice. And I'm like I'm always curious, and I want to ask you from a fighter's perspective. Like I know we've talked about this on the show before about taking short notice fights, and I say this, and I know you've 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 agreed with me on this. I say that when a guy takes a short notice fight. We should absolutely applaud them. We should never demean someone for turning it down because it's, you know, you are a professional athlete. If you don't feel ready to go in nine days or 10 days, then you shouldn't have to fight nine or 10 days. And no one should you know begrudge you that. But we do applaud the guys who do, you know, who do do it. Now, the only thing I, like, I'm curious, Jalen Turner's off two losses in a row. Again, not bad losses, both split decisions, but it's still two losses. Does that would that change your opinion? Like, would that change your decision on doing another short notice fight? Like, he's taking this one again on basically less than two weeks' notice, and I won't say it's do or die. It's certainly not that kind of you know circumstance. But you don't want three losses in a row. I mean, nobody does. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like, does that? I don't know. Does that play? I mean, you want to get that loss off your record. You want to get that you know, bad taste out of your mouth. But you're also doing it on less than two weeks. So I'm just kind of curious the mindset of like taking a short notice fight. Uh, yeah, I think first you have to respect the confidence, right? Coming off two losses and saying, look, I'll take another short notice fight against a very tough to beat guy, a very 
uh, awkward fighter, right? Like someone that, you know, realistically, even if you had the camp to train for him, like it's going to be hard to train for, but now you don't have a camp. So it's going to be even harder to train for. So you're basically uh, relying on your own reactions and your own athletic abilities and your skills and things like that. But the way that I look at it is there's, there's kind of, you know, a lot of these guys, I think you know, one of the, the tips I would give younger guys, if you see anybody successful in any adventure, one of the commonalities you'll see amongst people that are successful is their ability to zoom out, right? So being able to look at your career or your, your, um, your I guess you call it fight career, you know, your, your fighting journey as a whole, zooming out on it. And I think some people, um, whether for good or bad, you know, don't really zoom out and they, they hear an opportunity. Yeah. Let's go fight. I think I made that mistake a lot when I was younger. I took a lot of short notice fights. Now the advantage of it, it does earn you favor with the UFC, right? Uh, um, I think it earned me favor and earned me a lot of respect and um, came in handy at times. When you look at guys um, like a, like a John Jones, like I would not have seen him doing that. Maybe he did do it. I don't, I don't really remember, but you know, early in his career, because he had thought like, or he knew like, I'm going to be a champion one way or another. So he's playing the long game from the beginning. So I think there's a, you know, depends on kind of like what you want out of your career also, right? Like some guys don't necessarily have an intention of being champion or maybe they don't even believe they're going to be a champion or, you know, maybe they want to fight just to fight, et cetera. You know, I think I had a lot of that mentality when I was younger and that's why I think I could look back and kind of give this kind of insight into it. Um, so what I would suggest to guys like that, you know, is, is zoom out, you know, see your career as a marathon and not as a sprint. Yeah. Look at the big picture, right? Like how much is it going to be benefit you in the long run versus the short run? Cause I do think some guys, or girls for that matter, um, they get the opportunity and the instinct is to fight. Like that's your instinct. Your instinct is to fight. Right. And especially off a loss and like two split decision losses, you probably, I would imagine like in the back of his head, he's like, I just want to get back on. Like, I want to get back on track. I want to get this stupid, nasty feeling of a loss out of my mouth and I want to win. And so you're looking short term, right? Like I want to win. I'm a fighter. Let's go fight. Then you, as you say, you zoom out and you think about, well, what's the repercussion of this? If you come up short against a guy like Bobby Green, who's surging right now, just knocked out Grant Dawson on a good streak right now, you lose to him. Not a bad loss, but it's still three losses in a row. Now, you're not going to get bounced out of the UFC. They're not going to release you because you took a short-notice fight and lost the third fight in a row. We know that. But let's not forget, a year ago, or whatever it was, Jalen Turner got in the top 15. Now... He lose this one, you're pretty much bounced. I'd imagine you have to be bounced out of the top 15 at, at the least, you know what I mean? Then you're on three losses in a row. You're not getting those top 15 fights anymore, at least for a little while, I'd imagine, you know what I mean? So it is like you do have to you do have to think about the 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 cause and effect of what you're doing here. Like I imagine you're right. Like I want to fight, let's go. You know, that is a mentality of a lot of great fighters, but like you mentioned John Jones, it's great you mentioned him because you remember People raked him over the coals years ago when Dan Henderson dropped out of his fight and he wouldn't fight. Was it Vitor? Chelsan? It was Chelsan. He wouldn't fight Chelsan on, on whatever it was, like a week's notice. And everyone raked him over the coals like that. I never agreed with that. I never agreed with Dana. I never agreed with anybody. Like, it, he's a world champion preparing for a fight against a specific opponent. 
you give him a, a brand new opponent on a week's notice, and you can't. I mean, yes, in theory, would we love the Islam Makachev attitude where he's just like, "Give me somebody." I get it. I understand. We want to applaud that, but you can't. You can't demean the guy for being like, "Listen, I was preparing for a a wrestler with a freaking sledgehammer for a right hand, and I'm going to." A different kind of guy, like a Greco guy, and I'm going to Shell Salt. Like it's just a different. You can't get mad at people for that. You can't get. It's just like when uh, this past weekend the PFL, Chris Wade misses weight. Bubba Jenkins is like, I'm not going to fight this guy. He's three and a half pounds over. Like we should never begrudge a guy for like the other guys not being professional. <laughs> like and just like this, like you can't begrudge a guy for like I don't want to fight a guy on a week's notice or I don't want to fight on a week's notice. Like there should never be a bad thing that they're just being professional. And not doing it. Uh, as I said, I am glad Jalen Turner did it. I think Jalen Turner and Bobby Green's a hell of a fight. But there's a risk there. There's a real risk there for Jalen Turner potentially losing three fights in a row. Yeah, and you have to look also at the risk-reward. Like, this is obviously, like, a very high risk. I don't know how high the reward is in this particular scenario. Um, you know, that, I guess that you could you probably have more input on that than me. But... You know, it's definitely a high risk, especially coming off. Like you said, there's a lot, lot for him to lose here, being uh, already having two losses in a row. So, you know, I would think that he would step back and say, look, you know, I'm going to fight when I'm a thousand percent prepared and be a thousand percent ready. I need to get these losses off and uh, and move on with my career. Um, Apparently, you know, that again, I, I applaud the confidence the fact that he believes, you know, even coming off two losses in a row, he's going to, he's saying, I'm going to go in there and I'm still going to win this fight. Like he's not going to take the fight if he doesn't believe he's going to win. So, you know, he's confident that he's going to go in there and pull this off. He's confident in his skills. And I applaud that. And I love it. You know, when guys step up on short notice, have the balls to do that. I much highly respect that. I've always been that guy that did that. Um, But, you know, you have to, weigh the risk reward so you know i I think uh you know it depends on kind of who's around them too right what are they telling them yeah you know that that always plays a huge factor right it it could be his you know i was i was kind of talking with a friend about this earlier you know about who you know when 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 these people what i notice is i see way too many fighters with their friends around them and guys that love to help them out and you know hang out with them and you know people that they enjoy being around which is great but you got to have a couple of guys that are just confronting the truths of the situation, right? Like, dude, you're not doing enough grappling. You're not doing enough conditioning. You, you know, like you're dropping your hands too much. Um, no, you shouldn't take that fight. You know what I mean? You got to have somebody around you that puts their foot down and tells you the honest truth. Yeah, you got to you gotta have, like, you can't be surrounded with people who are only going to root you on. You got to be able to have somebody around you that's going to make, like, be able to tell you the difficult truth. Like, I know this is probably a bad example, but I just the most public example I can think of is remember years ago when Brendan Schaub did Joe Rogan's podcast and Joe was like, dude, you just need to stop. Like, it's just, this is not going well for you. And everyone gave him shit for it. And everyone's like, what are you talking about, Joe? Like, you don't know. But it was a public forum with a guy who was just trying to be brutally honest with his friend. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying that's an exa- like a public example of that. And I'm not saying that's what Joe should have done. Maybe he should have handled it behind the scenes and not done it on a podcast. But like, that's what we're talking. Like you need somebody who's willing to be, you know, you you're like, you're like, dude, I, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like, I know this is an extreme example. It's like, dude, there's this bridge 
And I bet you if I jump off that bridge and I dive in the water, it'd be a really cool video and I could do it. And you're like, yeah, it'd be an awesome video. But you need someone being like, dude, it's still a bridge. And you're still, there's right. still a big chance you're going to die here. So how about you not do that? Like, how about we do something else instead? Like, you got to have somebody around you that's willing to say, listen, you know, you're off two losses in a row or, or you know, have you been trained? You know, somebody is willing. Now, again, maybe the people around him we're honest enough to say, Hey, you're ready. You've been training. Maybe he was thinking he was going to yeah, fight in January. Possibly. Yeah. But you need to have somebody around that's willing to give you the difficult truth, whether that's good or bad. It could be great. Yeah. It could be absolutely on your corner. And, and I believe that, that in all things in life, you know, not just fighting, right? Like a, like my girlfriend, you know, sometimes she could be the biggest hassle in the world, but she'll <laughs> tell me some shit too, that I don't want to hear, you know? <laughs> and it, at the time, maybe it pissed me off, but later I respect it. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm glad you, you told me that. And, you know, I think that's something very important for fighters to understand. Um, I can think of specific examples where I took fight on short notice. My coaches told me not to. I didn't listen, lost the fight. And looking back saying, damn, I should have listened to those motherfuckers. <laughs> um, you know, I'm a stubborn dude, right? Like, it, it, you know, it, and that's just a matter of, you know, working with the, the people around you, you know? And, and, you know, they can't, maybe there was someone around him. I, I don't know. You know, this is, I don't know nothing about Jalen Turner, so I'm not pointing him out specifically, but it is an important thing, I think, in life in general and in fighting. Well, and you just said it right there. I mean, you had coaches telling you not to do it. You still have to make that choice. You still did it anyways. Yeah. But you did have people around you saying, I don't think this is a good idea. Now, again, it's still on you. And for all we know, Jalen Turner had the same exact thing happen, where his coach was like, we right. don't think this is a good idea. And Jalen Turner's like, well, I'm doing it anyways. Like, it's still his decision. But, yeah, we, you got to have that. I, I respect, like, for instance, uh, Dorian did that for me, actually, with the specific fight that I'm thinking about. He said, uh, he said, dude, you're not taking this fight. Like, what are you doing? You know, he's like, you haven't been training. You're not ready. And I said, well, I'm taking the fucking fight. And he said, all right, we're riding then. Let's go hundred percent. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that's, that's why Dorian's my dude. So, <laughs> yeah, but he was honest with you. He told you it wasn't a good idea. Like at least he told yeah. you, sure. he didn't just be like, all right, let's go. Like, let's, let's gear up. Like, at least he tried to be honest with you about it. And yeah. And like I said, then he, when he knew that he wasn't going to win that battle, he rode with me still. Yeah, there's always, like I said, there's always that danger of taking short notice fights. Like I said, there's always a good and a bad. You always got to weigh the risk versus the reward um, in any situation like that. Like, I don't care if you're on a 10 fight win streak or you're two fights in your UFC career, whatever it is, weigh every situation is a risk and a reward. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if you're doing a fight on, and also short notice means a lot of different things. Is it short notice on three weeks' notice? Is it short notice on four days' notice? You know, like, yeah. there's a lot of different kind of short notice, too. Like, I talk, who did I talk to? Uh, I can't remember the fighter I talked to. He took a fight on four days' notice, and he, uh, you know, he didn't he didn't do well, and he lost. And he called well, Jose Johnson. He came back in this last two weeks ago. He had a really really good performance and won. And he's like, yeah, I learned a lesson. Like I got in the UFC by taking a fight on short on four four days' notice. Didn't have my best night at the office. Took a full camp. Looked better the second time. Now that's again risk versus reward. Like he knew taking a fight on four days' notice was probably the worst idea possible, but it got him in the UFC. That was yeah, the, which that, is, that, well, yeah, which is obviously like way different too, right? That's the risk. That's but, the risk versus the reward. Like that's what I'm talking about. Like the yeah, risk was worth it because yeah. the reward was he got in the UFC. Yeah, and there's also you know there's the uh, uh, well, which we already know, right? Is a part of how much have you been training? You know, have you yeah. you know how are you training? Maybe you're helping other guys for their fights, and you're basically doing camp with them already. Um, you know, which is a different situation. And then you know, there's also. 
um, you know, the matchups too, right? Like, yeah. like what, what kind of matchup is it, right? If you're Islam, like you can, like, he's one of the best grapplers in the world. Right. And he's, he didn't end up doing that to Volkanovsky, but you know, he, I think he's got confidence that he's going to be able to out grapple anybody in the world, whatever kind of shape that he's in or however much he's been training. Right. So, you know, I think there is a matchup component uh, to it also. And again, and I said this with Volkanovski and, and Kamar Usman when they did that back at 294. Um, I said, listen, we applaud you for doing it. Amazing you took this fight, but you also can't use an excuse afterwards. Once you're in there and you take yeah. the fight, that's you're in there. Like, I like, was Volkanovski at his absolute peak best when he fought Makachev the second time? Maybe not, but guess what? Doesn't matter. You took the fight. You stepped in there, you lost, and you came up short. I mean, that's the sport. You know what I mean? Like, that's the key about short nose. You got to, again, you throw a big picture. Everything we're talking about here is big picture. You got to think about the good side, yeah. the bad side, what happens after. All these kind of things play a factor, and that's what you're talking about with zooming out and, like, making sure you're looking at the full picture of what happens, good and bad, uh, to a situation before you do it. Rather than just jumping headfirst into the brick wall and saying, I'm going to fight. You know what I mean? You got to yeah, look yeah, at this. What you ultimately have to remember that I didn't get until way later in in my career or whatever a journey in martial arts is, is no one knows, cares, or remembers how what type of notice you got for that fight, how prepared you were. No one knows, cares, or remembers you know whether you had an injury or you know, none of this shit. The only thing people are going to remember how a week from now, if you know, if not like a year from now or whatever, they see it on tapology, sure dog, or you know, they see the record. Mm -hmm. They they don't see that all the asterisks next to it that you could be putting. Because I could put all kinds of asterisks <sighs> next to so many of my fights, wins and losses. Yeah. I'm sure my opponents could do the same. But no one knows, sees or cares about that shit. Yeah, I said it all the time when a fighter gets a bad decision. I say, like, listen, that's the reason why bad decisions have to be called out because a year from now, people are just going to look at the record and see a loss. They're not going to know that, oh, yeah, it was a bad judge who cost you the fight. You know what I mean? Like, that's why things like this are so big. And you talk about this, like, yeah, you know, what, you know a year from now, are we going to be talking about Volkanovski? Oh, yeah, every every single time you reference that fight, you're only going to reference Volkanovski took it on short notice? No. That's how the sport works. People are just going to see you got head kicked, knocked right. out. That's what people are going to remember. Like that's so again, big picture. Just make sure you look at the, again. Not saying he didn't. I'm just saying you got to look at the big. But you're absolutely right. Like that's a brilliant assessment because um, I think that is we kind of live in a microcosm where we live in like the moment. You know, you just live in the moment. You're not thinking about well, what happens on. You know, you're thinking about Saturday, man. I got this fight on Saturday. I can fight on Saturday. I can win. What happens on Sunday though? What happens on Monday? What happens on Friday? You know, you got to think about the big picture here. So, um, and also like his last fight out, he missed weight. Like, is that good? Like he's taking this on short notice. Is that going to be a problem? Because you miss weight. Now you're giving up 20, 30% of your purse that you just took on short notice and maybe you lose. So then you're taking the fight, you lost and you lost 30% of your purse. Like there's a lot of factors that go into this. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. So yeah, ultimately, you know, you, uh, again, it, it applies to fighting, as much as it applies to every career, right? Zoom out, see the bigger picture, you know, see, you know, 10 years down the road. Um, I was talking, it's funny, part of why that kind of came up into my mind also, like I was talking to a, a very wealthy uh, friend of mine the other day, like very, very wealthy. And and he, he buys a lot of businesses. 
And when he's talking to the business owners that he is potentially purchasing, you know, one of the keys that he looks for in, um, you know, buying a business or either partnering with them in a business or, um, or buying it from them, you know, one of the things he looks for at a successful entrepreneurship person is their ability to zoom out, right. To be able to see the bigger picture. Like, you know, is this product going to be something or this business going to be something valuable for the long term? Um, so I think it applies to a lot of different things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down and new customers to DraftKings can bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Um, beyond that fight, of course, we mentioned Benil Dariush taking on Armin Sarukin in the main event. That's a hell of a good fight. Uh, I've been a big, big uh, Benil Dariush guy for a long time. Uh, obviously, a bit, a bit of a heartbreaker for him back in, uh, was it May, when he lost to Charles Oliveira? Of course, certainly no shame there. Charles Oliveira is incredible. Armin Sarukin, uh, again, top guy, had a couple tough losses in there. Obviously, lost to, uh, he lost to Makachev in his, in his debut, but he took that fight on short notice and did very, very well. And then, of course, he lost a close fight to Matush Gamrot, uh, coming back off a couple wins now. This is a big matchup. This is kind of a big matchup for both of them because Armin's younger, so you feel like he's got a little bit more runway should he lose here. Like, he's still got a lot of time in front of him. But for a guy like Benil Darius, like, certainly is not make or break or do or die, but uh, knowing Benil and knowing, like, he's just I, – and I, I have so much respect for Benil Darius being honest and truthful to who he is, meaning – 
He's never going to come outside of himself to try to get a fight. Like he's not going to talk trash and say crazy things. And, you know, he, he always, one of the things he always says to me when we do interviews, he says, everything I say, I have to remember like five years, 10 years from now, my kids are going to see. And I want mm-hmm. them to be proud of what they saw in their dad. Like when I stepped in that cage, I didn't say, Hey, you mother bleep, you know what? He didn't freak out and say, yeah. well, you know, he didn't, he's like, when I, when I think about this, like I, I he's like, I, if it means I never get a title shot, then so be it. But I want to, I want my kids to be proud of me when they look back at what I did. And I appreciate that because he's just being honest because you know, as well as I, I mean, look no further than UFC 296, Colby Covington, Colby Covington was just a super mild mannered wrestler dude. And then yeah. he realized, and then the UFC is like, Hey, we're, you know, we're probably not gonna resign you to your contract. You're not that exciting. You know, you're just kind of a very vanilla dude. And you know, we're just not that interested. And so what did he do? He went out there and created a persona and a character. Now that's for Colby Covington. And it certainly worked. He's obviously a good fighter. He's an incredible fighter, but he created this persona to go along with it to where now he's this huge magnetic personality where everything, every time he says something, it's kind of crazy and wild and people pay attention to it. That's for Colby and good for him. I got to, whatever, do your thing. But Neil doesn't want to do that. And I appreciate that. He's like, I just, I don't want to be that guy. Um, but he's a hell of a good fighter. This fight with Armin Saruki, man, this is a banger. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I love that from Benil. Um, I, I've done that exact same thing myself, right? Like, and again, that's that zooming out that we're just talking about, right? You got to be able to look at the big picture. Like, like you're going to be remembered this, and like you said, your kids are going to be watching this. Do you want your kids to be hearing that? You know, their dad say the types of things that Colby Covington is saying, right? <laughs> is it, is that what you want your kids watching? And hey, you know what? Uh, that you know everybody has different goals and different ways of living their life. Like you know, to be fair, like Colby's kids are probably going to go to a private school and you know be living good, right? Like they're going to be making more money. Um, but you know, different people value different things. So uh, I respect Daniel for that. And uh, but anyway, yeah, goddamn, what a fight, man. Um, you know, I think this is like Armin matches up very, very well with Benil, but Benil, tell me if you feel the same, like he's done nothing but surprise me. And since I started watching him many years ago, and at first I thought he was overachieving. I thought he, you know, he's kind of, um, he's not really this good. Like he's doing better than he should be doing kind of overachieving, but I think I was very wrong. And I think like he was, you know, he's just that good of a fighter. So I, I think it's going to be a, a really good matchup. And like you said, Armin Hat does have the youth behind him, but Benil has a lot of wisdom. So it, it's good. That's a tough one. I don't, I don't know what the line is on this one, but yeah. I don't know how you pick one here. It's tough. And I agree with you on Benil because I, when I talked to Benil before this fight, it's like, I still remember my first interview of Benil. He was the jujitsu guy. Like that's what he was known for. He was a world-class grappler and now like he's knocking people out like when he fought he was on a big win streak and he fought Matush Gamrot last year and that's a dangerous fight because at the time Matush was number seven eight in the world Benil was like number two he was on a huge win streak maybe one win away from a title shot and Matush was just trying to basically make his name off of that hugely dangerous fight you know kind of similar to this young guy trying to make a name trying to make waves in the sport Benil went out there and handled him, man. Like Benil handled, like he put it on Matush Gamrot. I was incredibly impressed by that performance. I was like, damn, like that's a wake up, you know, that's a wake up kind of performance for Benil Darius. Now, again, he lost to Charles Oliveira. It is what it is. There's no shame in that. 
But I think there's it could be a similar scenario here. With, with I think a lot of people are going to pick Armin as like the kind of the quote unquote like sexy pick. You know, he's the young guy, up and cover, maybe a future champion. And Benil's like maybe they're thinking, well, this is like a passing of the torch kind of situation where Benil lost to Charles, and maybe he's going to start making his way down. I don't know, man. Like I have a lot of faith in Benil Darius. I think this could end up being a little bit of the Gamera situation where he knows the danger, he knows what he's facing. And the last thing you can do is underestimate this guy because he will go out there and put it on you. Um, I'm not saying I'm not saying he'll just you know he'll whoop Armin Sarukin. I'm just saying like I think I think Armin's kind of become the popular pick, and I'm just saying don't sleep on Benil Dariush. This guy just yeah. he just he continuously finds ways to win. MMA math never works, but tell me if I. I'm right in remembering Sarukin and Gamrot went to a very close decision, right? It did. It was a back and forth. It was a great fight. It was a great banger. fight. It was a great fight. Yeah. Like, oh, it was amazing. And then and then uh Gamrot won a won a decision. Yeah. But it was real good, real close. Yeah. So just again, uh, yeah, and I see that like the two of them very, very close skill level. So if we're gonna do an MMA math here. <laughs> You know, do you, I think you might be making the right call there. So does that mean that you are picking Benil for this? I, I am picking Benil. I don't think it's a blowout. I'm certainly not sitting here saying, like, I'm super confident in that pick. But I do, but I'm picking Benil. But this is, like I said, this could be just like that Saruki and uh, Gamrod fight. It could be just a back-and-forth battle for five rounds, and I'm ready for it. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's going to that's gonna be a banger, man. Like, I, I, again, I, it, Benil just has every tool in the toolbox. It seems like, like you, you could better really pull some rabbit, some some rabbits out of some hats and, and that shit to beat him. You know, he's just one of those guys, man. Charles Oliveira happens to have a lot of rabbits and a lot of hats, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's that guy, right? He has, you know, when he's at his peak, when he's performing uh, at his ability. Like I, I think he's one of the best in the sport. Like, like easily, like top two or three pound for pound best in the sport. He just doesn't always perform to his ability. When he fought Benil, he performed to his ability. He was up there uh, smashing. So, yeah, it's going to be a great fight. I can't wait to watch this one. He just Charles Oliveira just happens to exist in a time when Islam Makachev also exists, and it's like you know he's yeah. a, he's amazing, and then you got a buzzsaw and, and right in front of you, like it's like that's not a bad thing, but yeah, like in it, like in any other world right now, Charles Oliveira would probably be still be champion, but you know a guy named Islam Makachev exists, so he's not. Um, you know what? Yeah, fight tough, on this. It's a tough matchup for him, and I still not knowing uh, anything, you know, behind the scenes, but I still feel like Charles didn't perform to his best when he did fight Islam. I agree. I agree. I just don't know if it'll be that. I don't know if it'll play out that much different when they eventually do fight again. Like not to say Charles can't win that fight. He absolutely can, but they're just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just riding high on the Islam train right now. Like, I just think he's like, he's in that role right now. He's like, it's going to be tough to stop him. You know what I mean? Like, I think Volkanovski yeah. probably had the best shot back in February when he took him to a close decision. I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know, man. Like, I just, I'm just, it's not that I don't think Charles yeah. can do it. It's that I'm very high on Islam Makachev. Like, that's, you know. And, that's and it's not that I at. think, like, like, Charles would maybe ever beat him. Like, I, I don't know for sure, but. I don't have confidence that he would necessarily ever be, but I do think he could put up a, at least a way better fight than he did. 
Yeah, like I would say, like if it was like a you know best out of ten, I would say nine out of ten. I'd feel pretty confident in Islam. But that one chance that Charles has, he can pull it off. Like he can do it. He can make it a much better fight. Um, but I got to be honest, like I just don't see anybody a lightweight beating Islam right right now. Like I I love the Justin Gaethje fight. I think that's really interesting. Um, but I'd still have a hard time picking against Islam. You know, like I think Gaethje's looked amazing lately. Still have a tough time picking against Islam. You know, it's just one of those things. It's yeah. like, you know, you can praise these guys left, right, and center, and then, you know, oh, you got to fight Islam Makacha. Well, fuck. You know, like, it's, it's a bad night at the office. Uh, you know what fight on this card I am way excited about? What a low key banger on here is Rob Font and Devison Figueredo. Mm-hmm. Devison moving up to Bantamweight, which. You know, it could be a mixed bag. He's not the, he was never the biggest guy in the world. Like he obviously was a very thick guy and, and you know, struggled to get to flyweight. Rob Font, incredible striker. I, I know he's coming off that that, you know, kind of a I'll say lack just not the most exciting fight in the world with Corey Sanhagen, where he basically got taken down for the better part of five rounds and controlled. It was a very weird night. Corey was dealing with an injury, went out there and just had to do what he had to do to win. Credit to Corey Sanhagen. I think we all kind of expected like these two to go out there and bang it out. And then, you know, Corey surprised, which again, that's credit to Corey Sanhagen. Rob Font clearly wasn't ready for that, but, uh, this is a good fight, man. Rob Font's a dude. Rob Font's a nasty striker. Great boxing. We know Devison hits like a truck, but does he still hit like a truck at bantamweight? Like that's a question. Yeah, and the, the whole problem where I, I think this is a great fight for Rob Font personally. I mean, for one, Davison coming up in weight, you know, he like you say he's not that big anyway to be moving up in weight. It doesn't seem like at least. I think he carries a lot of muscle, but he's just not you know really built. Um, much larger, but Rob Font has a fucking good jab, mm-hmm. and Davison Figueredo, or Figueroa, however you say, it, you know he's a little bit wild, right? He's not throwing a lot down the middle, and that down the middle beats the around uh, the edges nine out of ten times if you got it if you're good at it. And Rob Font's very good at it. He just has this terrific jab. I love watching him fight. And I think he's going to uh, probably dominate this fight with that jab. I don't see Figueroa having the wrestling to take him down and hold him down. Or, you know, he's got like a lot of tricky stuff, but as in, you know, pure wrestling to take him down and keep him down there. I think he's going to have a hard time doing that to Rob Font, especially moving up in weight. Yeah, I agree with you. I like Rob Font in this fight as well. Reminds me a little bit when when Sergio Pettis first went to bantamweight. And he fought Rob Font. Rob Font pretty much dominated him in that fight. Mm-hmm. Now, Sergio got better and put on weight and learned how to become a bantamweight. We just saw what he did in Bellator until he ran into Patchy Mix. Again, no shame there losing to a guy like Patchy Mix. But this kind of reminds me of that. A guy coming up from flyweight for the first time, good striker, really good fighter, of course, a champion. But this is a tough matchup. Rob Font is a nasty striker. You mentioned great jab, great boxing. And he's very technical, and I think that can take Devison out of his game a little bit because Devison likes that scrap. He likes to get in that scrap, mm-hmm. and I don't think Rob Font will allow him to do that. When Rob Font did that, was it to Adrian Yanez, who was a really good boxer but gets a little wild at times. Rob Font just made him pay for it, knocked him out in the first round. You get a little wild with Rob Font, he will put you down, and I think that's kind of where this fight, that's where it seems like it's going to play out for me as well. Like Devison's getting a little, get a little wild, and Rob's going to stick that jab in his face and, and bust his nose, bust his orbital. Something's going to happen. Yeah. And, and again, I don't see, uh, all, I, I don't see where Davison has a, another game really to go to, right? He doesn't have the, uh, at least we haven't seen 
him come out with the wrestling to be able to just take him to the ground and hold him down either, or, or do a ground and pound or submissions, you know, of course it's MMA and, you know, these guys are training everything. So you never know, but, but, you know, we, I think from previous performances that we've seen, I'm not seeing where he's going to have the ability to do that. And you also have to remember, and I, and I always bring this up when guys change weight classes, like, some guys change weight classes out of necessity because they struggle in weight cut, but it still doesn't mean they're built for the weight class above them, if that makes sense. Like, just because you struggle to make 125 doesn't just mean you're a natural bantamweight. Like, he just may struggle to get to 125. Maybe he's a natural 128-pounder, you know what I mean? But, like, doesn't mean you're going – because, remember, now he's going up and fighting guys who are cutting from, like, 155. Like, Aljamain Sterling walks around, like, 160-some-odd pounds. And cuts down to 135. You know what I mean? Like, these are big guys. So, you know, it, it, not saying you can't find success. We've seen it. guys like Robert Whitaker have done it very well when he fought at welterweight and then fought at middleweight. But not everyone's going to have that. Like, remember, just because you can't make weight or you struggle to make weight in one weight class doesn't just mean you're the better weight. Like, just because you struggle to make weight doesn't mean you're made for the weight class above you. I'm not saying that's the case for Devison. I'm just saying something to, to keep in mind. It's funny. I, there's not a lot of guys in MMA that I'm thinking of where I've seen them move up in weight late in their careers and have success with it. it. Like it seems like in MMA, it tends to happen earlier on. They start, they realize like pretty quickly, uh, I'm too big for this weight class. They move up and then have success. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, it's funny. We're getting the reverse. And another fight on this card with Calvin Gastelum, who, who realized early <laughs> on, you know, struggle about welterweight, going to middleweight, was a pretty good middleweight. Obviously, he had some struggles there at the end, but he had some big wins there as well. And now he's going back to welterweight. And I'm like, I let me be clear, I love Calvin Gaslam, man. When Calvin Gaslam won the Ultimate Fighter, I immediately pegged him. I was like, this guy's gonna be a contender one day. Like he was so talented, but he just could not make the weight. Like he just, I mean, he just could not do it. And then he, when he did it, he looked bad. Like you remember, we talked about the fight with Neil Magny. Oh, yeah. Like he's just had those fights where it's like, yeah. Going back down, a little older in his 30s now, like going back down to welterweight. I don't know, man. Like maybe, again, you remember years ago, Mackenzie Dern struggled badly to get down to 115. And then now it's like no problem. Like she does it without an issue. Like she just got her life together, got her nutrition together, and she cuts it without problem. Looks like healthy and happy as ever on the scale. Uh, maybe we'll see that from Kelvin, but I do, again, usually you don't see the reverse. A guy who's been a middleweight for whatever, five years. And is like, I'm going to go back to welterweight. I'm like, mm, I don't know. Is that a great idea? Right. Right. It, it, it's interesting with him. Cause like, I feel like he could have been stayed at welterweight the whole time. And I'm not going to say he was, uh, I, I feel like it was either a lack of discipline or a lack of desire to be more disciplined. You know, I don't want to say I like, you know, like he's obviously a great fighter. He's obviously, you know, an, an amazing competitor, uh, but he was undersized for 185. I felt like he was, he, like he should have been at 170 the whole time, but he, he, sometimes success can be one of the worst things that happens to you. Cause he had all this success at 185 and was probably not being as disciplined as he should have been because he's like, well, I'm at 185 now. I'm not at 170. But he wasn't able to truly peak out at 185 and truly, uh, you know, maximize his performances where I think at 170 he could. But it's going to require him to cut the weight properly 
get there on weight, not kill himself making the weight. And he does that. And, you know, the sky's the limit for this guy. Like you said, we, we know, like, like he's that good. He's that guy. Yeah, but Brady's going to be a fucking test, though. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. Sean Brady, man, you're not coming back against just any dude. Sean Brady, Sean Brady, listen, yes, he did lose to Bilal Muhammad. Not a bad loss. Bilal Muhammad's incredible. I don't think that's a bad loss at all. I've talked to a lot of guys around Sean Brady, like guys who train with him in Philadelphia. And every single person I've talked to who trains with Sean Brady says, this is the strongest guy I've ever grappled with like his strength in grappling is uh, ridiculous. Like when he gets you on the mat, he just moves you around in a way that doesn't seem real for a welterweight. And does that mean like, again, like, you know, obviously Kelvin has some wrestling in his background as well, but you know, Sean is an incredible grappler and he kind of abandoned that a little bit against Bilal. Like he went out there and just tried to strike with Bilal and it backfired on him. But, man, this is not an easy test for Calvin Gaslam coming back. You know what I mean? Like, Sean Brady's a monster. He's talking on top 10, top 12 guy in the world on first day back at welterweight. Credit to Calvin, like, certainly taking the challenge. I mean, he was going to fight Shavkat. Remember, that fight was booked. Uh, so, credit to Calvin. But, man, this is not an easy fight. Well, I'll tell you, if, if, that's going to be the interesting thing is if, if Sean you – know, th- he went up against Bilal Muhammad thinking he's a striker. Now he, you know, he's probably having success in sparring and class and, you know, training with really good guys having success. But when you go out there against someone you never uh, sparred or moved with before, and now you're actually fighting under the lights, like it's different, you know, and it requires some time and experience. Um, If he's got that same confidence against Kelvin Gaslam, I think he's going to have more problems than he did against, um, against Bilal Muhammad. Because Kelvin Gaslam can box like a motherfucker. So <laughs> he can. <laughs> I think, I think, it has I, a lot I, more power. I think I think that's part of it with Bilal is because I think he didn't think Bilal was very good on the feet. And so I think he probably thought I could just beat this guy up. And then Bilal's like, oh, hold on now. Yes, I do wrestle a lot. But guess what? I got some hands. And he surprised him. I don't think he'll have that with Kelvin because we know Kelvin has power. We know Kelvin has yeah. good hands. He has good boxing. So I don't think he'll have that same level of confidence because I think – Again, I'm just looking on the outside looking in, but I think maybe Sean got a little bit in his own head in that fight. Like, I'm just better than this guy. And for some reason, people love to underrate Bilal Muhammad. It drives me freaking insane. He's one of the best two or three welterweights in the world, but people continuously underrate him. And it's to your own peril. Like Underrate that dude, and the next thing you know, you're down 49-46 on the scorecards or whatever the numbers are, or you're getting knocked out in the second round like what happened to Sean Brady. I think that I think that was part of it, too. Like He's just like, I'm better than this dude. And then Bilal Muhammad's like, uh, no, you're not. So, you know, uh, But I don't think he'll make that mistake a second time. And Kelvin, Kelvin Gaston is really good. But I am curious, like, on Friday, like, what's it going to look like on the scale? Because I remember watching him when he was fighting the welterweight before. Who man. I mean, he, he had to cancel yeah. the fight with Tyre Woodley when he missed weight. And then, like, he looked like death warmed over. So, like, how's he going to look on the scale? Because, you know, some guys, like, I remember when, when Aldo did it. And I was like, my God, how's Aldo going to fight the next day? And then he did it. But I'm always a little curious on weigh-in day how a guy looks. And Kelvin never looked great when he fought at welterweight. So... This is a big test. Like, has he been cutting weight? Has he been doing it the right way? Is his nutrition on point? All those things can play a factor in what he's going to actually look like in a return to weight. Like, I'm super curious, but we'll see. And you do not want to come into a fight drained against a uber strong grappler either. 
assuming yeah. that that's Sean Brady's gameplay, he might try to stand and you know trade with them too. But you got to think Sean Brady is probably going to look for the takedown. He's an uber strong guy. Maybe he doesn't get the takedown right away, but if you're coming that fight drain, that's going to wear you out quick. Your arms are going to start getting heavy. Now your boxing is going to come down, right? Your your shoulders going to get heavy. Um, going to get extra tired, extra fast. And then the longer the fight goes, the more it's going to favor the other guy. So there's a lot of like little pieces to this fight kind of, I guess, uh, you know, that could really kind of behind the scenes, they could play a lot of factors in this fight. Yeah, absolutely. And I mentioned on the undercard, it's kind of funny, like on the undercard, Misha Tate is fighting Julia Avila. Julie's been out for like two years. I think she had a kid, so she's been out for a while. And Misha's coming back, going back to Bantamweight. She had that one fight at flyweight against Lauren Murphy did not go well for her. Now she's going back to Bantamweight. It's weird because when Misha came out of retirement, um, I know Misha very well. I like Misha very, very much. When she came out of retirement, like when she retired, when she lost to Raquel Pennington, I remember I was I was at that fight, and I remember her, you know, calling it a career, and I was kind of like, it's it, it almost seemed like a decision made in the moment more than like it was the right time. You know, I'm always. I always I, like we all we all understand the like in the moment retirements like you know you lay down your gloves in the ring it's a cool thing right like it's a cool moment and you know but I'm always cautious when people do that because there's so much emotion you know so much going on there it's like I, it's like I always I always joke with fighters like when you do your post fight interviews I'm always like we should take whatever you say and then just give you like a free pass because sometimes you're emotional sometimes you don't even know what you're saying like it's just a really highly charged situation uh sometimes you don't mean what you say uh or maybe you mean what you do when you retire so when she retired it's kind of like I don't know this seems kind of odd but she stuck to it for a while she had a couple kids she got you know doing different things in her life and then she came back Wanted to become a champion again. It's not worked out so far. You know, she had lost to Ketlin Vieira. She has lost to Lauren Murphy. Now she's on the undercard as Julie Avila. Listen, I love Misha Tate, but you kind of wonder, like, is it do or die for her here? Like, does she want to keep going at this level? Like, in terms of now she's, I mean, I don't think she's super far from a title shot just because she's Misha Tate, but she's got to be two or three wins away from it here. Like, if you lose to Julie Avila, which I think she could beat Julie Avila, but I'm just like, do you want to keep going at this point? Like, is it still, do you still have that fire to want to keep going? If you lose this fight, I don't know. It's a weird, it's an interesting fight with this one. Yeah. No wonder, like after having kids, like how her motivations changed, how her uh, daily life has changed, right? Uh, energy levels. Um, there's a lot of uh, mental focus going other ways. Now, sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. Sometimes it gives you something to get your mind off shit. Sometimes it, it pulls you away from what you should be focusing on. Sometimes it puts things into perspective. A lot could go a lot of different ways. Um, obviously, when she fought Lauren Murphy, things didn't work out in her last fight. But, you know, when you retire like that, you, you know, I think almost every single fight I ever had, at some point in the camp, I'm like, dude, I'm fucking retiring. <laughs> some bullshit. <laughs> every, like, long, real camp, you know, you, you that that's one of the things kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, when you th thinking about these short notice fights, if you kind of stay in the gym all the time, sometimes you kind of like that too. You're like, hell yeah. Like I don't have to do a, a, a fucking 12 week camp. <laughs> Thank God. That shit's exhausting, bro. You know? So, you know, I, I you know, I don't, I don't know how many state trains, but 
if she's training hard for those long periods of time, you know, sometimes that just gets your emotions, you know, it just hits you the wrong way. It makes you, you know, just, just want to not be doing this shit. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. And like I said, I, you know, I, you know, certainly she's still a, you know, incredible fighter, but you just wonder like, you know, is the motivation going to be there? Cause if she can't get past Julie Avila, how far does that put her away from her ultimate goal of becoming champion again? I mean, she's already kind of far away from it right now, losing to Ketlin Vieira and then losing at flyweight. So you're like, but you know, the women's bantamweight division, Matt, for lack of a better word, is terrible. Um, not good division right now. So uh, I don't know that she's ever going to be more than a win or two away from being right back in there. I mean, you know, Raquel Pennington's fighting uh, Myra Bueno Silva in January for the title. I mean, I guess that's an all right fight. You got Juliana Pena out there who hasn't doesn't hold a win over anybody on the current UFC roster, and she's a former champion. So, like, I don't know how far Misha Tate could possibly be. Like, she may be Julie Avila, and maybe she's already a number one contender for all I know. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's, you know, it's just – but, again, these are – that's like – sometimes the stakes in these fights are super high one way or the other because if she wins – She's right back in the thick of it because this division is a wasteland. Like, it's not a good division, Matt. It's just not. Uh, but then a loss, you're like, man, like, you know, can you, yeah. like, you know, that's like it's three in a row. Like, are you really, you know, is it is it really going to be worth coming? So it's like, not saying it's do or die, but it kind of feels a little bit like that. Like, a win puts you in a great position. A loss puts you in a really bad position. She's not in that, like, point in her career where, in my opinion, where, she can just bounce right back. You know what I mean? Like she's an older fighter. She's a veteran. She's not one of these, you know, she's not going to just be, Oh, well give me a fight three months from now. I'll bounce right back. She's at a different stage in her career. So she may not be able to do that anymore. Yeah. Well, I hope she has a great fight. Um, I don't know much about Julia. What's her last name? Avila. 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 Yeah, what's her story? I don't even know much about her. Let's she's, tell she, she's had a couple of fights. She, so she was one that looked really good early in the UFC. She looked like she could be a future contender, and then she had a tough loss, and then she's been out for like three years or something like that, something wild, like two and a half, three years. She had a kid, and so she's been out of action. Like when she was in there, super talented, looked like a real good prospect, but – uh, yeah, she's just like, she's been out of action. So like, I think this is a good fight for Misha. I like Misha. I think Misha probably will win this, but you just never know. Like I said, like time waits for no one. And, and, uh, why do you, why do you think Misha is going to win this fight? I think Misha's experience is a big deal. I think she's just got overall better skills. I mean, Julia is certainly not a bad fighter. Like she's not like Julia Avila is a solid fighter, but she's just a lot less experienced than, than Misha. And I think the time off, let me see here. Her last fight she won. Okay, so okay, let me go back here. So she she lost to Sajara Eubanks, and then she beat uh, Yulia Stoliarenko in 2021. So it's been over two years. It was June June of 2021 was her last fight, and she won that one. So she's four and one in the UFC. Uh, she has a win over uh, Gina Mazzani, uh, Panny Kianzad, which is a solid win, um, and then she has the she has the loss to Sajara Eubanks, and then the win over Yulia Stoliarenko. So. Again, not a bad resume. I, the time off concerns me because she's still fairly young. Like, she's 9-2 and two in her overall career. Like, to be out for over two years, almost three years now, it's kind of concerning. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, and maybe I just have too much faith in Misha. I just think Misha's still, like, her grappling's still good. Her boxing's still solid. Um, I still think she's just a better overall fighter. But, you know, we're going to find out. I know Jermaine Durandami's coming back. I talked to Jermaine fairly recently. She's coming back to fight again. I think she's going to inject some fun in this division because she has a win over she has wins over Raquel Pennington and Angelina Pena, so I think she's coming back. That could be good. 
Um, but yeah, we need to, this division is so weird because like when this division was around, like when, when Ronda was around, it was like the biggest division in the world. And then Amanda Nunes comes in, she wrecks shop and it's still a good division, but Amanda leaving, man, this leaves a big giant vacuum in this division where it's like, that's a, that's a tough, like, it's not like when George St. Pierre left welterweight and there's still like a monsters list of welterweights. Like that's not really the case at, at bantamweight in the women's division. So like Holly Holmes lost like two in a row, two or three every last three. I can't remember how many in a row. Uh, she's lost, you know, Juliana Pena, as I said, she has a win over Amanda Nunes, but she actually does not have a single win over anyone on the current UFC roster. Uh, mm. That's an issue. Um, you know, so I don't know. That's like I said, but I, I still have faith in Misha Tate. So I, I think, I think she'll get it done, but we'll see. Does she headlining the undercard? No, she's actually not headlining the undercard. It's uh, she's the second fight from the top of the undercard. The headliner is uh, Clay Guida against uh, Joaquin Silva. Is the uh, is the nice. prelim headliner and you know Clay old school Clay Guida. Although I'm still not used to Clay Guida with short hair. When he cut his hair off, I was like, this this is weird to me. I can't get used to Clay Guida with no hair. <laughs> hey man, I always watch a Clay Guida fight. Freaking love that dude. Love seeing him still around. He's got to be at least top two or three longest tenured fighters in the UFC at this point. Yeah, up there. He's up there. Speaking of which, uh, you know, we always talk about Jim Miller on this show. Old Jim Miller books a fight in January. He's not waiting around. He wants to fight UFC 300. He's like, oh, I, every, every time I texted Jim about UFC 300, because, you know, I was trying to put the fight together with you and him, even though, like, again, my loyalties are, I, you know, I love Jim. You know that. Jim's a great dude. And obviously, we do the podcast, one of my closest friends. So, like, on a friend level, it's like it would bum me out. But also on a personal, on a professional level, it would be a great fight for UFC 300. Two legends, you know what I mean? I think it would be a blast. But Jim kept saying, like, I don't want to wait to 300. I want to fight. Like, I want to fight before then. Sure enough, January, he's in Gabriel Benitez. He's like, I'm fighting. I was like, dude, I love that demeanor. Like, yes, fighting UFC 300 would be incredibly special considering he fought at 100 and 200. But Jim's a fighter, man. He's not going to turn down a fight. He's not going to say, no, 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 let me set out an extra four months. No, give me a fight in January. I love that attitude. Yeah, he's a fucking warrior, man. Love that dude. I think I'm the same way as you. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't know him personally, but like, I feel like I'd probably get along with him. Well, you know, we go have some beers together or something. Um, not, I don't drink beer, but you know, he could have <laughs> a beer and I could hang out there with him or something. But, you know, I've fought guys I like before, you know, yeah. that's what we do. We beat each other's ass and then we hang out after and enjoy each other's company, man. That, that's just part of the game. Yeah, but I, I appreciate that attitude. He's like, yeah, I want to fight at 300, but I'm not going to sit around and wait for it. Like, you know, because one thing he told me, I remember I had him on the show after his last win. He's like, dude, he's like, the worst things happen to me when I'm not getting ready for a fight. He's like, I have dumb shit. He's like, I, I think he said he like stepped on a nail or something in his garage. Like, he's like, dumb shit happens to me when I'm not. Like, that's when the stupid shit happens to me is when I'm not getting ready for a fight. He's like, when I'm getting ready for a fight is when I'm actually focused. I'm not doing other shit. So it's like, I guess I can understand that. He's like, if I sit around for six months, something dumb will happen and I'll end up being injured anyways. <laughs> yeah, I can totally sympathize with that. I totally get it. We ain't got shit to do. Yeah. We don't want to do anything else. Yeah. Once you fight in that cage, particularly the UFC cage, but any cage, I don't know how any man would ever want to do anything else with his life ever. Yeah, that's what I said. But UFC 300, like I said, there's still opportunities out there. Jim Miller, 
Uh, I still think you and Paul Felder would be a fun fight at UFC 300. Just throwing that out there as an idea. Yeah. Paul Felder's talking about coming back. I think that'd be a fun one, too. Like, I, I like those legend fights. Paul Felder coming back, I think that'd be fun. He fought at Welterweight before. Well, call up Sean Shelby, give him the <laughs> word, and see if you can get a job as UFC matchmaker. I try. I try being matchmaker all the time. Uh, did you uh, Did you watch any of the PFL on Friday? I did not. Um, Interesting card. Last year's championship card was a blast. I think it was like eight fights on the main card and six of them had finishes. Crazy. This year was the exact opposite. It was like every fight went to a decision with the exception of like two fights. And I'm just being honest. They were not all great fights. They were okay at best. Like there was a couple good ones in there, but for the most part, it was not the most exhilarating card of the year. Um, there were some production issues in there. They kept doing... They kept doing Zoom interviews during fights. Like they had, like they were doing the heavyweight fight in the in the tournament finals, and they had Ryan Bader zoom in as like the Bellator champion, and he's like talking during the fight, but he's not there. It's like they had Jake Paul doing commentary during Larissa Pacheco's fight, but he's on Zoom. It's like the it was the weirdest. Like it was so bizarre. Yeah, that's like, funny because I, I was at a restaurant. And I seen it on the TV or a bar or something. I forget where I was at, but I seen it on TV. I think this was PFL. I seen a Zoom call on the bottom of the screen during the fight. And it was like a girl who was like, I was like, who's this girl? And somebody else told me that she's like, she's a swimmer or, or some shit, like an Olympic athlete or some shit or a tennis player or something. I don't I don't remember that one, but yeah, it was that. Like in the middle of the fight. So they had Jake Paul for one. Oh, yeah, they had Wiz Khalifa, the rapper. They had him on there like four times doing like breakdowns and stuff. And I'm like, uh Alan Joban uh messaged me or you know, tweeted at me when I when I tweeted about Jake Paul and he's just like he's like, Yeah, this isn't a good look. I was like, it it comes off kind of like amateur hour a little bit because we have guest commentators all the time. Like you'll see, like occasionally UFC will have like when they have their three man booth, they'll have somebody come sit with them to commentate a fight. But like if you're not going to have them at the arena, the Zoom thing does not work. Yeah. Like it's just where you're on a time delay and like it just it just screams unprofessional. Yeah, and if they're like not at the fight. Like, that doesn't show a lot of interest in the fight. <laughs> yeah, when I get it, but like the Bellator guys, I understand because. They just bought it. So, like, I like I talked to Ryan Bader last week. He was on a hunt the day the news broke. So, like, he was out and about. Like, he didn't even know it happened. So, for him to, like, pick up his life and fly to Washington, D.C. to go to the fights, I get that. I understand you probably can't do that. But then just don't do it. Like, just not – don't do a weird Zoom thing. Like, Jake Paul's getting ready for a fight of his own in a couple weeks. So, he couldn't be there. He's, like – I think he's down in Puerto Rico where he trains – but they had him on Zoom, and, like, it wasn't even anything to do with him. Like, it was commentating on Larissa Pacheco's fight, of all things. Like, what sense does that make? Like, you just wanted to have the guy Zoom in for an interview, great. But, like, why is he there commentating on Larissa right. Pacheco's fight? Like, what sense does that make? Especially when he's not known or respected in any manner as an authority on MMA fights. <laughs> yeah. Like he did, he made some, he made some comment during the fight where he's like, someone should have gone left instead of right on a grappling exchange. And I was like, Oh my God, this is just like, I'm not saying he's wrong, but I'm just saying right. like, this is, you know, it's one thing if like Daniel, we don't need Corm to hear it from him. <laughs> yeah. Like J Daniel Cormier says it. That's an expert opinion. Paul Felder says it. Dominic Cruz says it. Michael Bisping says it. That's an expert opinion. 
Jake Paul giving jujitsu advice <laughs> to Larissa Pacheco, probably not the way we want to go here. I'm just saying, like, it's probably not the best idea. Yeah, yeah, that's it's almost like our like our political leaders giving us advice on how to live. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it's like it's like when when a when like when a billionaire tells you I should be living your life, I'm like, dude, you give me a billion dollars, I'll live my life a lot differently. Promise you like that. It's like you, you don't get. To, <laughs> right. It's harder for you to tell me how to live my life when you just live in the lap of luxury and you can have anything at your fingertips. Uh, a little harder for me, you know, whatever. But yeah, it's just it was just weird. It was just like a really odd setup. But you know, it was all right. It was what it was. I mean, it sets up some fights for next year, doing the champ versus champ card, which I do enjoy. One thing I wanted to bring up, though, talking about Jake Paul, um, Jake was on there once again, you know, talking about doing his MMA fight next year. He says he's still going to do it. I'm skeptical at best that Jake's going to actually fight MMA next year. But he keeps calling for this Nate Diaz fight. And Don Davis, the PFL founder, said they're up in the ante to pay Nate Diaz like $15 million to do an MMA fight with Jake Paul. Now, two things I want to say about this, Matt, real quick. One, um, if I'm Nate Diaz run don't walk take that money for what could be the easiest payday of your life uh jake paul making his mma debut against nate fucking diaz is a mismatch it's a mismatch two listen we kind of i won't say we dogged the pf we didn't dog i just last week we talked about pfl when they kept saying co-leader co-leader and we said listen you're not the co-leader you're not the ufc you're not going to be the UFC. You're never going to be the UFC. Stop doing it. I kept saying on the podcast last week, Matt, stop making me do this PFL. Like just stop making me like, <laughs> cause I root for PFL. I want PFL to succeed. I really, really do. Is paying Nate Diaz $15 million. And I assume you're going to pay Jake Paul similar money, 10 to $15 million for him. Is paying those two guys $25 million combined for a pay-per-view. Is that the best business decision? I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. Like, is that really the best business decision for your company to spend, let's just say hypothetically, $30 million on one fight? Is that the best business decision? Um, you know, I think it's a good question. I don't know. You know, I, you know, they must project a certain amount of pay-per-views and a certain gate. Um, they, you know, they certainly think that Jake Paul is going to bring in a lot. And, um, you know, uh, they're probably basing the numbers off of their boxing match, I'm guessing. Yeah, they did that boxing match did really, really well. I heard it did over seven hundred thousand pay per view buys. So yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if they're going to get that many out of an MMA match, I think it's a fair pay, right? I, I mean, I think it's uh, probably what it should be. But if I'm Nate Diaz, dude, run, don't walk, take that money, fifteen million dollars. Yeah. Listen, we all listen. We were all proven wrong that Francis Ngannou was able to take Tyson Fury to a split decision and a really close fight in that boxing match. We were all shocked by that. But the reverse of a boxer coming to MMA has never gone well. Yes, Ray Mercer knocked out Tim Sylvia once upon a time, but that's just such an anomaly and such a weird moment. <laughs> but but I like it's the same thing I say about PFL. I like Jake Paul, and I have no problem that Jake Paul's doing MMA. Like, I'm good for him. Like, I'm glad he's doing it. I'm still very skeptical. He's actually going to do it because he keeps talking about this boxing career and I'm going to be a champion. Well, pick a lane. Like you're going to be a boxing champion, stick to boxing, but coming into MMA day one and fighting a guy like Nate Diaz, that to me just screams recipe for disaster. Well, you know, me and you kind of 
disagree on this before. That's why they call it the fighter versus the rider <laughs> or the rider versus the fighter. You got to put the rider first, right? <sighs> I'm going to disagree again. Jake Paul is going to, I'm going to pick him to win. You're going to pick him to be Nate Diaz. I'm going to pick him to beat Nate Diaz in MMA. Why? Give me the reason why. So we already know he can outbox him, right? Yeah. When was the last time you seen Nate Diaz take someone down? Uh, well, when he grabbed a guillotine choke and choked out Tony Ferguson, he did that like a year ago, year and a half ago. Took him down. He got him in the guillotine. I don't remember how it happened, but I know he got him in the guillotine and finished. I can't remember. I can't remember the finish. Well, you don't get someone a guillotine by taking him down. Yeah, I don't but, remember how it happened, but he did get him in the guillotine. But I don't think he'll be able to take him down, even if he tries to. Like, he's way, way undersized. Jake Paul is so much bigger than him. I don't know what weight it'll be at. Probably 185. Yeah, 185, I guess. Nate's not a great wrestler. It's going to end up staying on the feet. And you think on the feet Jake Paul beats Nate Diaz in an MMA fight? Well, what difference would it be Like if it stays on the feet? I mean, you got to throw in kicks, elbows, things you didn't have in a boxing match. Yeah, you can train. First, Nate rarely throws elbows really doesn't throw kicks a whole lot. Like he's primarily a, an MMA boxer. Like that's kind of like his MMA style is like he pressures you, you know, he outboxes you and pressures you and, you know, until you take him down or, you know, grab a hold of him. And of course that's what he wants right now. He can do his jujitsu game. That's just, it's just a bad matchup. Like I wouldn't pick very many people to be able to do that, but I don't think Nate would be able to take him down. And we already know what's going to happen, how it's going to look on the feet. Now, maybe, you know, Nate, pull, like Jake will train, you know, for kicks and elbows, knees and all that stuff. And th- they might have a little effect, but I don't see Nate finishing him with a kick or, you know, or even really chopping him down, you know, or elbowing him or anything. It's just not his style. I think Jake's biggest advantage in that fight would be his size. He'd, he'd be a lot bigger because we had this conversation totally. when they boxed that Nate Diaz in is wrestling. Not, that means a lot too. It does. It does. But in my opinion, it just takes one slip. He puts his head down in the wrong manner and, and Nate grabs a guillotine and falls down. Jake's not getting out. He gets, he falls into the guard with Nate Diaz. I think people forget Nate Diaz is a world-class jujitsu guy. He's going to tap him out. He's going to choke him out. He's going to catch him in a submission. Um, size matters. Absolutely. But, I think Nate Diaz beats him, you know, 99 times out of 100, in my opinion. Like, Jake Paul has the size. But I just, debut, if it was just like, if he, if he had like five MMA fights, had a little experience, maybe I'd be a little bit more confident about this. But in his first MMA fight, there's so much that can go wrong. So, so the, much. The, I, I will, one thing I'll say about that is, you know, Jake Paul, I would say that for 90% of people, 99.9% of people, I do believe Jake Paul is very comfortable and used to being in front of people and isn't necessarily like nervous about losing or anything. I didn't think he would handle boxing as well as he did, but he handled it very well. His demeanor, uh, you, his mindset, like he looked like a seasoned boxer straight away. I thought that would play a big role, even when he fought Ben Askren. Now, granted, I thought Ben Askren would train and actually be able to do something 
as a boxer, you know, I was like, dude, he's a world-class athlete. Apparently not so. A world-class wrestler, not a world-class athlete. <laughs> all love to Ben Askren, by the way. But we've seen in all of his fights, like he doesn't come in unprepared physically or mentally. Like he is a performer and he is good at getting in front of people and performing. So I don't think that's going to play as big a role. I think he will perform at his potential because he will have the rounds in sparring and it would be as if he already did, you know, five, six, 10, whatever um, MMA fights. Like he's going to be well prepared for it. And I think his mindset, you know, there's not a lot of credit I'm going to give to Jake Paul uh, as a athlete, but I will give him credit in his mindset seems very on point. So how does he win? How does he beat Nate Diaz, in your opinion? We just outboxes him, decision. All right. There's your headline right there, boys and girls, because I did not see that one coming. I, uh, yeah, well, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't well, imagine. You headline. I, I love Nate Diaz. I don't want to be a, <laughs> like I'm putting him down or anything. Like, but I, you're I picking really Jake Paul to beat him. I mean, that's it. Like, you picked Jake Paul to beat Nate Diaz. You said it. Well, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't like saying it (laughs) like like I don't enjoy that. I feel that way. Like I would, I hope that Nate Diaz wins. Like I would cheer for him and I will a thousand percent root for, I would, I'd love to get trained with him and coach him and be like, look, wrestle this whole fucking camp. Take this (laughs) motherfucker down, like do fucking Eminari roles, whatever you got to do, like full guard, get this motherfucker to the fucking ground. Cause you already know you can't outbox him. Do yeah. I think Nate Diaz will do that? I do not. That is the whole thing right there. I I don't remember seeing a single fight with Nate Diaz where I seen him shoot for a takedown. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. I just, I don't know. I just think it's like, you know, I just, I still. Have Logically, because you're going off, off all like primary MMA logic. A boxer coming into MMA fighting a seasoned great MMA fighter. Like, it makes no sense that the boxer would win. But we've already seen them fight, like, you know, and yeah. the size. And, you know, this is this is one of the rare instances where that logic isn't coming together at a, at a crossroads where it should be. Yeah. So do you think Nate Diaz should take the fight, though, for $15 million? Well, that, I mean, that's... That, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, dude. You lose to Jake Paul, that would be devastating. I don't, I don't think it would happen, but I, you lose to Jake Paul. But again, fifteen million dollars well, is a lot of money. Now, now, I, I gave you my side. What's your side? What's where is what is Nate Diaz's path to victory? Nate Diaz's path to victory is closing the distance, jumping for a guillotine, and tapping him out. And it the fight lasts three minutes. One guillotine no. is over. Jumping for a guillotine? Get some all yes all he has to do is get the clinch one time and jump for a guillotine and it's over. And it's not because I think Jake Paul's not a good athlete. I think Jake Paul's a great athlete. He will have a size advantage. But the Jake Jake Paul and, and Nate Diaz in boxing, we saw the levels. Like if it's a if it's out of ten, and I'm not saying Jake is a ten, like he's like Canelo level boxer or or Benavidez who won on Saturday night. I'm just saying like if he's a ten in a great fight, by the way. A, yeah, absolutely. 
10, and, and let's just say Nate was a 6, right? Like, Nate wasn't as good as Jake Paul in that fight. Like, it was pretty clear. But he hung around. He stuck around, right? In MMA, if Nate's a 10, Jake Paul's going to be like a 2 coming in or a 1 maybe because he does have boxing. And I know everyone likes talking about his wrestling. He wrestled for like a year and a half in high school. And then he quit because he started making money doing social media stuff. He's not Logan. Logan actually did wrestle and placed fifth here in Ohio. Like, he was a legitimate. He could have gone to college. He was supposed to go to college to wrestle, and then he became famous and didn't have to do it. But, um, yeah, like, I'm not saying Jake is terrible. I'm not saying Jake couldn't develop into something. I'm just saying for your first fight, your debut against a world-class jiu-jitsu guy, he just needs one. He just needs one slip, one moment for Jake to not – to close the distance and allow him to grab a hold of him, whether it's a whether it's a guillotine or he just grabs and pulls guard, whatever the case may be. All Nate Diaz has to do is get close once, get the fight to the ground, and Jake won't get back up again. I hope that he does. Um, you know, I think Jake is. I, I don't want to say too many good things about the guy because <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> but. I got to give credit where credit's due. Like the guy's a pretty good athlete. You know, like he's a very, very solid athlete. I think he, with the size and the athleticism, jujitsu really isn't that hard to beat. I mean, you know, like you said, it is MMA. Like there's all these crazy things that happen. Nate Diaz knows how to get a fight to where he wants to get it. Like there's a lot of things, but when you're that much bigger and your athletic, assuming that he has actually been training MMA, like I'm, I'm, go, I'm going off the assumption that he's been doing jujitsu too already. Well, I mean, and like obviously, he's, we got to assume, and we got to assume if he's fighting AD as he's gonna, he's gonna go to AKA or American Thai. Like he's gonna join yeah. a real gym and train. I would assume. Yeah, yeah, no, and and I'm also making the assumption like he's already been wrestling and doing jujitsu. Like he's not gonna wait until that fight gets signed and do you know two three months of MMA and jujitsu while doing promo tours and all this shit. Yeah, like he's probably already getting ready. It doesn't take that long if you if you're the bigger, stronger, more athletic guy. It doesn't take that long to beat jujitsu. All right, well, for the most part. Yeah, no, there, there are no, I, again. It's, it's MMA, like. I agree. It is defensively, not even offensively, defensively, it's it's easier right. to defend. I will agree. That's why I always say wrestling is the best base for MMA because wrestling is the hardest thing to learn. Like, it's hard right. to get good at wrestling. I'm not saying it's easy to get good at striking or easy to get good at jiu-jitsu. I'm just saying of the arts that make up mixed martial arts, wrestling to me is the hardest to learn and do it at a high level, right? You can learn how to defend in jiu-jitsu. Not saying you have to be off. He's certainly not going to go out there and try to go for an arm bar and Nate freaking Diaz. Right. But as long as he can defend it, that's the key. How do you get out of a guillotine? How do you get out of a triangle? How do you get out? How do you stay away from an arm bar? Those, I will agree that is easy. I just, again, first fight. Like, And again, I know it's different things. I know it's different fighters. But Clarissa Shields, who is a legitimately world-class boxer. She's not Jake Paul. She is a world-class high-level boxer looked like a fish out of water in her couple MMA fights. She looked like she had zero idea what she was really doing. And she trained at Jackson's. It wasn't like she trained at some bum gym and didn't have good people around her. She had Holly Holm advising her, who was a fighter who made the transition from boxing into MMA. And she looked 
so uncomfortable out there. She looked so uncomfortable in, in her couple of fights in MMA. She won one, and then she lost the second one. I just, I don't know. I just, I Jake Paul winning an MMA fight, absolutely could see that happen. Maybe even making a career of it in a couple of fights, sure. Beating Nate Diaz on day one, I don't see it. Well, I'll put some money on it. <laughs> you're still, you're still, you're still holding on to that hope that you get me back. With. Well, good. Well, this can finally be after ten years or double or nothing. <laughs> if they <laughs> actually fight, I will absolutely bet you on that one. But I did not, I did not have Matt Brown p- picks Jake Paul to beat Nate Diaz in my bingo card today. I did not see that one coming. Uh, yeah. Well, there you go. So Jake Paul's gonna be giving you a call. Maybe hang out and it's Ohio boys. You guys are gonna be hanging out and training, helping Jake Paul get ready for Nate Diaz. I could teach him, bro. He is Ohio. He's a big Ohio guy. Maybe he comes back here and trains at Immortal Martial Arts. Maybe he can help out Jake Paul. Yeah, I I don't charge a lot. <laughs> Guarantee. Re- Gu- relative to his income. <laughs> Guarantee he's going to love hearing that somebody's picking him to win. I guarantee he's going to love to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it'd actually be a fun fight. You know, I think regardless of what happens, I do think it'd be a fun fight and it will actually be interesting. I think it's more interesting than a boxing match. I agree. Um, but if I'm Nate Diaz and they offer you $15 million, I'll just take that all day. I mean, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's already called them. Like, let's go. <laughs> yeah, let's go right now. $15 million. Just send me the contract today so we can get this over with. Yeah, seriously. That's a lot of money. And, uh, yeah, because Jake has his boxing match coming up in uh, in December. And then he's taking on a, an actual pro boxer. Doesn't have like the greatest resume. He's ten and one, but you know there's ten and one, and then there's ten and one. Uh, so we'll see what happens when he fights him. But listen, kudos to Jake. Wait, who's he, he fighting? Andre August is the guy's name. Um, also, it's not even a big name or something. So he's actually gonna try to be a boxer. Yeah, he's fighting some random. He's ten and one. He's like ten and one now. When you look at the guy's ten and one record, you look who he's ten and one against. You know, but that's boxing. I mean, that's just boxing. I mean, look, yeah. look at look at Canelo's record through fifteen fights and see how many records. See what the guys he was fighting at that point. Like that's just boxing. Like that's unless you're Vasil Lomachenko, you're not fighting world class boxers at your first ten or twelve fights. Like that's just not normal. Yeah, exactly. So that's actually pretty cool that Jake is doing that, though. I I respect it. You know, whether the fact that the dude's not a huge name, you know it. it means Jake has a lot to lose here. You know, there's still going to be a lot of eyeballs on it. Still going to be a lot of people watching. He's got a lot to lose. I respect it. No, I do too. Absolutely. No, I absolutely standing up to his word and saying, you want to fight real boxers. I don't care. I don't, I mean, the guy's 10 and one it's, it's on box record. That's the website where they have boxing records, right? Box rec. It's on there. He's 10 and one. Like, you know, you can sit there and pick apart his opponents and say his opponents are terrible, but that's every boxer. Every boxer has an inflated record through their first 10, 15 fights. Like, that's just normal stuff. Um, yeah, so a yeah. lot of that, you know, they call it inflated record. A lot of it's not even necessarily inflated record. It's like, you know, building your record. And yeah. It's, it, it, and it's getting your name out there, and it's learning who you are as a pro boxer. And, you know, the promoter's getting to see you. And, you know what I mean? And see, okay, is this guy actually going to be good? And they'll, they'll put, like, different types of matchups. Like, like okay, this guy might be – you know, five and five or something, 
but he's got a really, really good right hand. How are you going to handle that? You know, or he's what I mean? a southpaw, or he's a southpaw. How do you yeah. handle a southpaw? Things yeah. like that. Yeah, no, absolutely, no, you're right. And also, a lot of boxers don't have a big amateur career either. Like they're kind of their pro career starting out is almost like an amateur career. Now you do get the guys like Mayweather and Anthony Joshua go up to the Olympics and things like that, but not every boxer goes that route. So your first ten or fifteen fights are also kind of learning and becoming who you're going to become as a boxer. Like that's just, that's thing like that. That's one criticism I've never agreed with when it came to Jake Paul. Say people saying, Oh, he's not legit. I would argue Tyron Woodley is probably a better fight than 90% of the boxers who they're fighting in their first 10 fights. Like there's mm-hmm. a dude, you are or getting Anderson Silva. Yeah. You're getting full on. Like, come on. Like there's guarantee Matt. You've never, I mean, you have bought you. Obviously you've not like, like you're not a professional boxer. I guarantee you there's like a thousand boxers out there with a five and O record who you would absolutely demolish on day one because they're not like, that's just the point. Like you're not there. When boxers start out, they're not fighting the best. Like you said, they're fighting guys who are okay. This guy has a good right. And this guy has a good jab. He sucks everywhere else, but he has a good jab. Let's see how you handle the jab or let's see how you handle a Southpaw or let's just see how you handle a taller guy or, you know, whatever. They'll give you Matt. And, and also that's just, that's just common in boxing. Jake Paul's whatever he is, like seven and one. He would probably be his twentieth fight till he probably actually fights anyone really good. Like that's yep. th- that's pretty normal. And to be fair, like Jake Paul probably won't get to get those twenty fights before he fights somebody good. Yeah. But if he does another ten fights with these, you know, kind of fake ten and one guys, like you're talking about, like he's going to be getting called out all over the place. Yeah, absolutely, and, and that's what and- step it up. Well, and that's also and that's also goes to MMA too. Like when he does MMA, like it's going to be hard to promote him against just some dude. Now, does he need to fight Nate Diaz on day one? Maybe not, but it's same thing. Like he's not going to get the normal road of like you know he's going to become a you know and he's going to go through LFA and you know the Contender Series. You know he's not he's not that he's just too big of a name to do that. That's exactly right. So. Um, you know, we can hate on it. There's a lot to hate on. He gives you a lot of reasons to hate. Um, but there's some things to respect, too. You got to look at both sides of that, and you got to call a spade a spade there. I, I've said it many times. I may be picking Nate Diaz to beat him in an MMA fight, but I like Jake Paul. I like what Jake Paul – I don't have a problem with what Jake Paul does, and I, I appreciate a lot of the boxers who talk about – I know Andre Ward talked about this, a couple other guys. Like, ultimately, he's bringing eyeballs to the sport. Mm. And that's what, listen, I don't think he's disgracing boxing by being a boxer. Like, he likes boxing. He loves it. Good for him. Just like with MMA. I have zero problem with him doing MMA. I'm glad he's doing it. Bring more eyeballs. Because, what you know, I, I know I've told this story before. When I went to his fight with Tyron Woodley in Cleveland a couple years ago, I have ne- I've been to a million UFC shows. Like, a million. And I've only been to a couple boxing matches in my career. I've been to a couple K1 events back in the day. Been to a couple jujitsu things. I have never seen a crowd like the one I saw at Jake Paul's fight of like 16, 15, 14 year old <laughs> people. They were so into it though. Like they were there from the first fight. I mean, they were early. Like you never see that. Like they were there early. Wow. They were screaming. They, they were hiding. They didn't know any better, did they? <laughs> they were <laughs> buying merch. Like they were buying. Like that's. That's the audience you want to bring in. That's what Jake Paul brought into that fight. Like, I have never seen an audience. Like, I had, you know, they give us credentials. Like, I had my credential on that night. I had, like, nine different people try to buy my credential because they wanted, like, you know, souvenirs from the fights. Yeah. And it's just, like, little kids with their parents coming up. Like, can I buy your credential? Like, I was, of course, like, no. But they're, like, they're into it. 
that's the audience he's bringing and good for him. Like I said, I don't, I don't have a problem with any of that. Like I do, I think he's going to beat Nate Diaz in an MMA fight on day one. No, but that doesn't mean I don't care. Like I appreciate he's doing it. Good for him. Dude, does Jake Paul still do YouTube? Uh, he does. Yeah. He still has a YouTube channel. Like what is it nowadays? It's, he does a lot of like behind the scenes stuff. Uh, he did one like a few months ago. I saw that was pretty funny. Like he bought a Lamborghini or something and on like day one of his owning a lamborghini he broke it which was like a video that he posted he like ran it to like he just gassed it and went like 120 miles an hour and ended up breaking something um stuff like that like goofy videos like that but it still gets trash he has a pot yeah he does his podcast with logan he has his own podcast thing so it's stuff like that i don't think he does he did, certainly doesn't do the goofy like prank videos and you know, stupid jackass kind of like, you know, let's take a punch to the nuts and see who can take the best punch to the nuts kind of videos. But he still does content. And I think at this point, he's got like 10 million subscribers or whatever. Like people just inherently watch it because it's Jake Paul, yeah. you know, so he's just kind of like built into it. Yeah, well, hey, good for him, man. Yeah, I got no problem. Like I said, I got zero problem with Jake Paul doing boxing, MMA, whatever, dude. Good for you. Like, I'm all for it. And if he can, and also to that $15 million uh, price point, if he can come in on day one and get paid $10 million or $15 million and get Nate Diaz paid $15 million, good for you. Because guess what? Bet you Nate Diaz fought a hell of a lot of fights in the UFC. He didn't make $15 million. Yeah, that's that's a fact. So, yeah, I, I think it's a pretty cool thing, man. I like Jake Paul now. Yeah, Jake Paul, come to a mortal martial arts train. He picked you to beat Nate Diaz, so you might as well come up here to Ohio and train at home. Yeah, bro. Like, <laughs> I'll only take 5%. There you go. See, there you go. I like it. This is the, the hometown discount, 5%. I like it. All right. Uh, that's our show. We're going to close out on. Oh, yeah. I didn't even mention this week. We're not going to break it down. So I mentioned it's coming this weekend. We talked about the UFC. We talked about other stuff going on. Saturday night also is Mike Perry against Eddie Alvarez in a bare knuckle fight. Mm, that's gonna be sick bro that's, Dude, that's I'm a so wild excited. fight right there i would have never so i interviewed mike perry last week real quick before we get out of here i interviewed mike perry last week i've i've turned it mike perry's turned into one of my favorite interviews in the sport well-spoken dude funny dude love chatting with him really really enjoy chatting with him when mike perry showed up in the ufc he was like it, to me he always seemed like insane like he always just seemed like a crazy like completely out there dude getting to know him through interviews and stuff like he's actually a really funny uh smart guy and i i love what he's doing in bkfc man like he was made for that sport him and eddie alvarez is a banger that's a great fight uh ben out ben rothwell's fighting todd duffy on that card that's yep. a fun <laughs> fight like dude i love it man i love what bkfc's doing yeah i i just wish uh they could throw elbows yeah do a little more throw a little more although did you see the sanchai uh uh, that fight, the one we Luke talked Al. about, yeah, yeah, it played out pretty much exactly what you said. <laughs> Are they really gonna fight? Well, I think they really fought. Well, I think Bukow really fought. I'm not sure if Sanchai did though. He it did was a not weird, look. Insane. It was weird. He looked off or something. He looked yeah. really slow. So I couldn't tell if it's because he wasn't trying or if it was because maybe you know he could have been sick. You know, whatever. But yeah, he he did not look good at all. Yeah, it was a weird think. one. It was a weird one. But, dude, Saturday night, man, you got Armin Sarukin, Benil Dariush, Mike Perry, Eddie Alvarez. a hell of a good weekend for fights. Yeah, let's go. And, I mean, that UFC card we've been talking about the whole time. It's fucking stacked. It's going to be a great weekend. Uh, I will be in Florida for a seminar. So I'll be watching down there. So, 
if anybody from where's it at uh i don't even know where i'm doing the seminars (laughs) the tampa area i think so anybody around there come on out to the seminar i don't know i forget the gym that it's at so is that on saturday is on friday when is it this is on uh saturday and sunday actually two-day seminar okay um yeah so not pumping it up very well i guess i don't know where it's at when are you uh when are you flying home uh sunday night okay so we'll do the podcast when you get home i guess yeah or maybe down there that's uh, true sunday well yeah if i have time maybe at the airport maybe monday i don't know i don't even know my schedule we'll knock it out we always do we'll get done on monday if nothing else we got the old seminar going down there gotta gotta make that money uh yeah so to that point check out matt brown's sort of an unknown seminar in tampa maybe that's that's my my best promotion for it i think it's in tampa maybe uh what else can people do if they want to support you maybe you can find out more you'll i'm sure you'll post about the seminar at some point yeah i will i'll post about it and you can check out the post whenever I put it up. It should already be up. I think I posted about already. Um, and that's at I'm the Immortal. Twitter and Instagram, you know, to check out at I'm the Immortal. No, check out the Immortal Coffee at the Immortal Coffee on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, you know, also uh, I always forget to mention my little creatine gummies that I get every day. Um, these things are great man you take creatine damon i don't but i see you post about them i saw you post about them the other day and i was like that looks so cool it's such a good idea to have creatine gummies yes and not only is it they cool but um man, you should look into creatine you know uh, there's so many benefits the brain the muscles just the cognitive benefits they've done tons of research on it it's amazing it's the most yeah. studied supplement in history like and nothing these are comes even close and these are create. This is creatine in a gummy form. It tastes fucking great, bro. Like I wake up every day. It's the first thing I do is take a gummy, and it. I look forward to it. You know, it's. it's I wish I could take more. You know, I want to <laughs> eat them all the time. They taste great. That's amazing. Yeah. So you're creating gummies. I remember you telling me about that. I was like, that's a really cool concept. I you thought of that. So I like yeah, that. Yeah, that so you check my Instagram. I have a link in the bio on Instagram for the creatine gummies and. You know, you can support me right there. There you go. All right, folks, we'll be back next week after Matt returns from Florida. Hopefully he makes it back from the crocodiles and alligators, whatever the fuck else is going down in Florida. And uh, we'll have lots to talk about with the UFC Austin card. Of course, BKFC also on Saturday. It's going to be a great weekend for fights. Uh, next weekend, we got another UFC card. Actually, Anthony Smith has stepping up on short notice to fight Khalil Roundtree next weekend. That's an interesting fight. And then, of course, we're rolling right into UFC 296, the year-end card with uh, Colby Covington, Leon Edwards. So we'll talk more about that in the next couple weeks as well. As always, check out the podcast on all of your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Fighter versus The Writer. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. 
only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible. And deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.